0: Hi there, listeners. Welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 350. Holy moly, 350 of Sustainable Minimalists, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, we are talking numbers. We are doing some math. We're doing math in metric tons, by the way. Now, before we get into today's interview, we have to Set it up, and I'm going to get my teacher voice on, so stay with me for a hot minute. Pretend you are in class, and the teacher gives you a blank eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, so a white sheet of computer paper, okay? It's in front of you. I then instruct you to fold the paper in half, and then fold the paper in half again. So two folds, you make the creases, and then you gently unfold it, and in front of you, you should have... Four squares, four quadrants. Now take your pencil and in each square, respectively, write the numbers one through four. So one in one square, two, three, four. In category one, in the first square, that's where you put all the high impact but low effort eco friendly activities. So the actions that don't take a lot of time, effort, money, but have a big bang for their buck. That goes in category one. Category two is the high impact, high effort. So big bang for your buck, but also a lot more effort, maybe also a lot more money on your end. That's category two. And then in quadrant three, that's the low impact, low effort. So not a lot of bang for your buck, but also, you know, not a lot of work. And then finally, where we all want to stay away from is category four, the low impact. So you're not doing much in terms of helping the planet. But you're working really hard, so low impact, high effort. If I was to ask you, and I'm not asking you to do this, but if I was to ask you to fill out your quadrants with activities that fit into each of these categories, you would likely be able to put some stuff down on your paper, but I'm willing to bet that you don't have the math the data-driven analysis, I should say, to support your claims. Well, what's high impact versus low impact? I believe it's important to shift our thinking towards the effort and impact trade-off. Because I don't know about you, but I do not have unlimited time, effort, energy, and funds, funds with a D, to devote to my environmental fight. I just don't. And so it makes sense then for me to put the lion's share of my effort energy funds into categories one and two, those high-impact activities. Perhaps a little bit of category three, that's low-impact, low-effort, but definitely I should be staying away from category four. The problem is that in sustainability discussions, we often do not put numbers, we do not put math to the action. So what exactly is a high-impact activity? That's where my guest comes in today. Today, I'm speaking with Sam Schreiner. He is a father of four with a passion project, and his passion project is mygreenatlas.com. The site is a compilation of user generated guides. So think Wikipedia for sustainability in which anybody can contribute. And the key is that these guides that people contribute are backed by data driven analysis so that you and I can know exactly with numbers, which efforts are making the biggest environmental bang for our proverbial buck. Sam, that was a super long introduction, but I'm really thrilled to talk to you today. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, Stephanie. Thanks for having me on today. How are you?
0: I'm great. Thank you. I would love it if we started today and you told us who you are and specifically why it was important for you to create MyGreenAtlas.com.
1: Sure. I live in Minnesota and I'm married and have four young boys. And as I started having kids, I really started thinking more about sustainability and the future and all of that. And I really, really got to this point where I was just like, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure what my next steps are. And I'm unsure how to like get to the point I want to get to. And I, it felt like something that was really intangible for me and unable to tackle. And so I started talking to friends, had a lot of awesome people come alongside me and share a lot of wealth and wisdom. And really for me, it was the beginning of an interest in not just for myself, equipping myself to live sustainably, but to put resources out there and to link to other resources that would help people take that next step for themselves. I'm an engineer by trade. I think in numbers, I like to really look at the science of things. And so it uh, it was really important to me to not just be able to understand how to live sustainably, but to understand the, the impact and the effects and the cost of doing so.
0: I appreciate the data-driven aspect to the site because there's so much confusion out there for people who are listening to the headlines and are concerned about the future of this planet for themselves and their children, and they want to do something. I do feel as though there's a palpable feeling of, okay, but I don't know what exactly to do.
1: I really resonate with that, what you said, that a phrase of, I don't know what to do. Like, I want to do something, but I'm just like, totally lost. From talking to people, I was like, I should probably get an electric car and put solar panels on the roof and make the seats out of hemp or something like that. Just like these far out there ideas. And I was like, what can I actually just start doing today? I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a ton of time right now, but like, how do I make a step towards it?
0: Okay, so let's get into talking about some actions. And I know that there is the caveat here that we cannot make sweeping statements and sweeping generalizations for everyone because we're all at different stages in our eco-friendly journey. We all have different amounts of resources. We all have different living situations. I'm saying that caveat, but I'm also saying that regardless it's important to stay in categories one and two, right? Category one, of course, high impact, low effort, and category two being high impact, high effort. It takes a lot more time and energy, but the impact's there to make it worth it. So based on the data, what actions fall into categories one and two?
1: Yeah, that absolutely. Let me start with a story of two different things I tried about a couple years back. And I think that'll help illustrate because I love the categories, the way you've laid that out. I think that's a really constructive way to think about it. We have to prioritize, right? Everybody's got limited time. Everybody's busy. It's like, you got to know what to focus on. And so for me, my wife and I moved to Minnesota about three years ago and we bought our first house, had our first yard. And so I was, I don't know what to do with a yard. How do I manage my yard sustainably? and I decided that a push reel lawnmower was the way to go. So that's the mower where you push it and it just spins the blade on its own. There's no motor, there's no batteries. My father made a ton of fun of me for it. He's like, my grandpa didn't even have one of those. So all that to say, I went on Craigslist, found a used push reel lawnmower, and then brought it home and proudly pushed it through the yard. And it cut our grass, but not really. (laughs) And it turns out it was used enough where like I had to go sharpen the blades. And so I had to learn about sharpening the blades. I had to get this blade sharpening compound and this brush to apply it. I spent way too much time. And then finally got to this point where I can push it around. I can mow the lawn. And and it was wonderful. But when I ran the numbers for like my yard, I have like maybe an eighth of an acre of grass, perhaps, maybe less. And so I ran the numbers of saying, okay, compared to a gasoline mower versus a push reel, and then also threw in the option of maybe just like an electric battery one. What's the impact here? In terms of greenhouse gases, I'm saving less than 0.1 tons per year. It's very small. The University of California, Berkeley has this cool climate calculator. When I ran that for my family, four kids and my wife and I, it said our total impact is a little under a hundred tons per year. And so I was like, okay, I'm like taking a 0.1 chunk out of that, that a hundred. It's not nothing. Don't get me wrong. But I was like, Per the effort I put into this, it's really not giving me the bang for the buck that I want. I still mow my lawn this way to this day because it's nice. It's quiet. I enjoy it. But looking back, if I were to, say, arm myself with that knowledge starting out, I probably would have pushed off committing to that mower and maybe just got some electric mower or something like that.
0: Yes, that would definitely be a category for low impact, high effort. You put a lot of effort into making that push mower mow. The numbers just really didn't support that effort, I think is what I hear you saying. That said, I mean, if if you enjoy mowing with it, keep mowing. But if you don't, that might be an eco action to abandon. So what then about eating plant-based? I hear all the time that you can save up to 1.5 metric tons off your carbon footprint each year by going completely plant-based. 1.5 tons sounds Much more impactful than the, I believe you said, 0.1 metric ton for your mower. Talk to me about that. Should we be putting our effort into going vegan?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, I I confess I, I eat meat today, right? Like I haven't chosen to go vegan yet. That lifestyle is definitely one that to me makes a lot more sense to pursue versus a push reel lawnmower. But I have heard numbers similar to what you're saying of it's a couple metric tons impact, which is big. That really does relate to the second sustainable action I tried early on, and that was composting. My wife loves gardening, and so we were like, hey, I know composting helps gardening in some ways. Let's give that a try. I went on Craigslist again, found a used tumbling compost bin. I went to go pick it up, and at the time I had three young boys, and they were all in the van, and we had this thing like crammed in there, and they were all like, what is dad doing? Like, Why is there a big empty bin in our van? And so we brought it home, and I tried it out. And for us, it was, you know, it takes some effort, right? You're essentially taking your waste stream, the stuff you throw in the trash, and you're separating out stuff that breaks down. And so for us, it was numbers aside, it was a cool way for us to start becoming more aware of our waste and helping me and my kids understand where our waste goes. And we started that about two years ago. I've had two summers on it now. And the first summer was pretty much a complete catastrophe. I didn't know what I was doing. And I just, it was bad. I I could go into a lot of detail there, but it didn't work out well. But I did more research and then learned more and said, oh, I see what I'm doing wrong. I need to put this kind of stuff in and not as much of that. And so second summer was a smashing success. We made multiple bins of compost, used it in our garden, grew some plants out of it, and ate those plants. It's a beautiful way to see that circularity of sustainability. When I actually ran the numbers, it was actually an encouraging thing. So for my family of six, roughly, and these ranges are always estimates, but it looks like I can save about one and a half to two tons of greenhouse gases each year. And that does illustrate like a second point that I had in mind with Green Atlas. And that's, I wanted to understand the impact specific to my situation. Because I'm like, if I make a decision to compost with my wife and we say, okay, we're doing it, we're making that decision for our entire household. And so there's that six person multiplier. And it makes a lot of sense for where we are and what we want to do. But for someone who's like, you know, I'm single and i live in an apartment, and I really don't have a place to put a compost bin, the effort's going to be a lot higher. The impact's going to be a lot lower. And so they need to understand, like, maybe this isn't the first thing I start with. You got to know what you're getting into. And for me, looking back at lawnmowing and composting, if I'd been armed with these numbers and this knowledge ahead of time, I would have focused a lot of my time and resources on learning to compost right and getting that all set up, and then maybe do the lawnmower later.
0: I am an avid composter. I have been composting for years. I don't think it's hard. I don't think it's difficult. I don't think it's time consuming. So for me, I would personally put composting in category one. It's a high impact activity and it takes very little effort. However, you actually spoke to the fact that for you starting out, composting was definitely a high impact, but high effort activity. And so I think too, as you get better at things, the effort Level decreases. So, thank you for making that point. I'm wondering if you can give me another example of something that does have a high impact. Like, where should we be putting our effort?
1: Yeah. No, I totally agree with you, too. Like, year one, a lot of effort figuring it out, learning. But now, yeah, it's every year it gets easier. It's been fun. So, your question then of what are some of these high impact things? And so, for me, one of them was really obvious and we hear about it a lot, and that's solar panels. And I was really lucky to know a guy at 3M whose his job was like, I'm an engineer for solar panels. Like he knows them in and out. He's got them on his own home. He's learned the ropes and he wrote a guide on Green Atlas. Solar panels, obviously there's a really big cost to them, right? You either pay it up front or you pay financing over the years, but it's a big chunk of change. But when you run the numbers, we're talking seven to 15 tons of greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere, right? That's a huge bite out of my family's total impact. If I can do that, I'm taking a big step towards these sustainability goals that we need to hit. The thing is that it's not right for everybody. So if someone's like, I'm renting a single apartment in Seattle where it's like never sunny. I don't know. Maybe solar panels aren't the right thing for you to work with your landlord on. But for me, this guide that this guy wrote linked to a really cool tool called Project Sunroof. And Project Sunroof, you literally just type in your address and you say, okay, I live here. And then it takes Google Earth images and all that kind of stuff and says, "Okay, based on our cool tooling here, it looks like your house will generate this much electricity with solar panels and you'll offset this much carbon. And so I was able to put in my address and see that, indeed, I would expect to do about seven to eight tons of greenhouse gases each year. Now, of course, there's the financial aspect of it. Right. And so I'm not ready to just pull the trigger on it today and say, yeah, let's throw some solar panels up there. But I know that this is a high impact activity that I could do. And so the takeaway for me and my wife was then, okay, this is something that we should put on our roadmap. I don't know, we're not that structured, but we should think about this over the next few years of like, how do we get to that point where we have, we're in a financial situation where we can install solar panels. So now we're saving money for these kind of big projects to decide how we're going to do it. So that's one for sure. High effort, high cost, but very high impact. The other one that comes to mind, and this one is maybe a little more specific to each person's situation, is electric vehicles. And so I, for one, I work remotely full time. I likely drive between 10 and 15 miles a week. (laughs) And I have a Corolla right now, the 06 Corolla, and it gets like mid 20 miles per gallon. And so for me, if I think about setting aside money to purchase an electric vehicle, which I think is a great idea for a lot of people for me it's just i don't know if that's right for my situation i don't spend a lot of time on the road i don't know if buying a new one is the right way to go now maybe the next time i'm up for buying a car i consider getting an electric vehicle but like taking the action today of like i'm selling my car and i'm buying some new electric vehicle like it's going to take a long time for that payback to come up but for someone else like i i have a friend who used to work as a dishwasher technician And so he spent 80% of his day driving to different sites all over this metro area. And so for someone like that, the miles per week, it's like you're going to have a huge impact of switching to an electric vehicle. That's like a clear win. And so those are two like relatively high impact ones that I would say that probably don't surprise any listeners, but it's always good to see some of the numbers behind them and understand that.
0: The numbers definitely, for me at least, are motivating. My house does not currently have solar panels on them and we drive hybrids, but not fully electric vehicles. The numbers, however, do add some little push, like 7.5 to 15 metric tons per year, I believe, can be saved if we put solar panels on our house. That's huge. That's way more than getting a push mower. So if time and energy is finite, then why not put it on the big bang for your buck efforts. Sam, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, I want your thoughts on the low impact activities. We're going to go there after a quick word from this week's sponsors. Mother's Day is around the corner and I have the best Gift idea for you. Hold on to your hats. It's mylifeinabook.com. Every week, My Life in a Book will send your mom a question via email. They will compile all of your mom or the mom in your life's answers and create a legacy keepsake book. The book becomes something you and future generations can treasure forever. I gave both my mother and my mother-in-law my life in a book, and they've already started responding to the prompts When my mother-in-law received her first prompt, she said, oh my goodness, what a thoughtful gift. And that's what we all want, right? We all want to give thoughtful gifts. So check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day, mylifeinabook.com, and use code SUSTAINABLE for 10% off today. Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers. So next time you're at your local retailer, look for Coast of Maine products. Get growing. Visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you. Coastofmaine.com. And we are back. Today, I am speaking with Sam Schreiner. He is the creator of MyGreenAtlas.com. And before the break, Sam, you were outlining some high-impact activities, eco-friendly activities that if we're going to work smarter, not harder, we may indeed be best served by putting our time and effort into these activities. And I should say, too, you mentioned solar panels, you mentioned electric cars, There is the privilege problem here. There is the needing the funds, the upfront funds to pay for these big bang for your buck environmental actions. And it is what it is. Of course, listeners, if it's not accessible to you, it's off the table. Just keep trucking along, doing the best you can. But something that came to my mind when you were mentioning electric cars was a recent interview I had with Hal Harvey and Justin Gillis, the authors of The Big Fix. Listeners, make sure you listen to that episode if you haven't yet. Justin, in that episode, made the point that when you're thinking about what actions to do outside of the home, make sure there are zeros behind the effort, and that's pretty close to a direct quote. So making sure there's zeros behind our actions and efforts for maximum impact. Okay, so that was a big fat aside. Sam, let's get back into those high impact activities that Green Atlas has studied.
1: Sure. Yeah, I love what you were saying there about that quote of make sure there's the zeros behind it. A lot of what we talk about today is a little bit more of the how do I change my lifestyle or my products to live that that way. And yeah, we talked about a few of those really high impact, but high effort, high cost sort of things with solar vehicles and solar panels. Obviously, I'm not doing either of those things today as well because of that barrier. And so a lot of where I feel like the bang for the buck is those category one, much lower effort sort of things. And so I have two today. One of them um, kind of relates to the solar panels. So I was talking to a friend a while back and said, yeah, I just, we're not there. Can't buy solar panels today. I don't have the finances to finance them either. And he said, hey, you should check out subscribing to a solar garden. And so it turns out, depending on where you live, there is the ability for you to essentially go to your utility to go. And there are companies that sort of build out solar gardens, they call them. And then they work with you, your utility provider to hook those up to the grid. And then essentially you can go and say, I want to purchase electricity from this solar garden. Now, does it change the electricity that's going into your home from your utility provider? No, (laughs) they're still just providing it the same way they've done before. But it does force that utility provider to then work with that solar garden and to actually purchase energy from them and use it. And so it does slowly change the mix of energy sources, I should say, to be more renewable, right? And so... That is a very accessible way to get in. And it still has a relatively high impact. And the numbers are a little less certain here, right? Because you're like, what's the true impact of doing this? But I estimate on Green Atlas that it's somewhere between one and a half and two and a half tons per year that you're helping by pushing this. And this activity does almost bridge into that advocacy area a little bit where you're like trying to change your utility provider's behavior by incentivizing solar. And so for me, there's a guide that somebody wrote, again, not me, I'm not the expert on this, but someone else wrote it on Green Atlas on how to subscribe to a solar garden. And the thing I really like is we have the numbers there, but this guy also put up screenshots of his utility bills, right? And he, of course, redacted the important info, but showed, look, I'm actually paying less for energy now than I was before. And I can't say if that's going to be universally applicable, but I do believe that's the general case of saving money. And also saving the environment. And the really cool thing is this is a one-time thing, right? Like you sign up and you're signed up. You don't have to like each month call back and say, yes, please do it again. And yeah, subscribing to a solar garden, I would say is a relatively high impact, but low effort situation. And so the last one that I wanted to mention actually is your listeners may be very familiar with this. It was inspired by one of the episodes you aired a while back on sustainable birthday parties. And so as a father of four, you can imagine we have a number of birthday parties each year. And I was really struck by that episode. The way that I loved your focus on we're still celebrating the kid or the person whose birthday it is. We're still doing that, but we're trying to reduce our waste, trying to reduce the amount of just the mountain of presence that gets thrown at these kids. Crunching these numbers is always a bit of an art, right? Trying to figure out like what's the impact, what isn't it? But when I looked at just the presence alone and just saying, okay, if I have four kids, They each do a birthday party a year. Each party has 10 guests and each guest brings a present. Like that's a lot of presents all of a sudden adding up. And if they're all, many are made out of plastic, have a significant amount of plastic. And you can essentially say every kilogram of plastic is about six kilograms of greenhouse gases emitted. And so running all those numbers end to end, It actually comes out that like for my situation, for my family with four kids, we can save somewhere between one and one and a half tons of greenhouse gases each year. If we just say no to presents and maybe say, okay, let's not have these plastic plates and plastic cups and everything, just a few of those changes has actually a pretty big impact because we're multiplying it across all our kids. The other part that I think is really cool about that is it is kind of advocacy because now I love the way that you were like in the invite, say, hey, we're not having presents and here's why. Just try to clarify, like, we're not Scrooges here. We're trying to just help give our children a better sustainable future. And so I feel like it's a cool way to help communicate to all those other kids' parents now, here's what we're doing. And maybe one or two of them try it. And so it's this cool infectious sort of thing that, that can help revolutionize the way that we as parents live sustainably. And obviously, there's some kind of time, effort, in just figuring it out up front. But as we mentioned with composting, I feel like once you try it and do it, I imagine the effort goes down over time. I don't know if you've found that to be the case.
0: Yes, for sure. I find that with most eco-friendly actions. The hardest part is starting and figuring it out, whatever it is. And then once you figured it out and... The action just becomes a part of your daily life. It's no longer much, if any, effort. So, I'd love to transition our conversation quickly, Sam, to the low impact actions that we all know and love. I'm thinking about, you know, bringing your reusable cup to Starbucks or bringing your tote bags into the supermarket or being really extra focused, reducing your trash, the zero waste movement. And yes, it is very important to reduce the amount of trash that your home produces. However, militantly going zero waste, in my opinion, would seem to fall into the category for low impact but high effort activity. So I guess I would love your thoughts on these low impact activities. I do think a case could be made that, especially category three, low impact, low effort, if it's low effort, why not just keep doing the thing? I'm thinking like tote bags, right? How hard is it to bring your tote bags into the supermarket? Low impact, you're probably not preventing a significant amount of CO2 from entering the atmosphere by doing that, but it's low effort, so why not continue on? Do you have any thoughts on the low impact activities to share?
1: Absolutely. And I agree with you that I don't want to come down too hard on these low impact low effort activities because in my own life they've been extremely enabling. I talked about composting and the lawn mowing, but another one for me that really came out as actually something that that I can do and it's like easy to do was this Ecosia search engine. I don't know if you've heard of this before, but it's essentially a way of saying, "Hey, instead of giving Google your searches and therefore your ad revenue to line the CEO's pockets," Why not plant trees with it? And so I love Ecosia makes it very easy to just switch all your devices over to say, when I search something, I almost said when I Google something, when I search for something, run it through their servers, let them get advertising revenue from it, and then they use it to plant trees. It took me maybe 10 minutes to convert a bunch of stuff over to it. And it although it doesn't have a huge impact, when I run the numbers, it's maybe half a ton or so. It's nothing to shoo away, but it's not going to save the world on its own. But it was just easy for me to get started. And I've found that once like once you start doing something sustainably, it really feeds me and helps me like think, I can do this. What's next? How do I keep going? And so I do think there's a little bit of a double-edged sword in this category. Of I think it's a great way for people to start, but they need to understand the numbers behind it and go, okay, I'm glad I'm doing X, but I'm not saving the world through this alone. I can keep going. I can do more. And so Ecosia for me, you know, I'm saving maybe half a ton, especially as my kids get older and start having devices of their own. Like then maybe there's this bigger multiplier where it's actually like, hey, let's really make this happen. But that's one in the category three where it's just easy to get started. And it's something. Another really interesting one, I've been religious about bringing my insulated coffee mug everywhere to church, to the coffee shop, to this and that. When I finally sat down and ran the numbers, I was like, okay, I got to get this in a guide. I got to understand the numbers behind it. I was really amazed by, there was this cool analysis that looked at the carbon footprint of a latte, coffee and milk. And I know there's purists who would just object to my simplification there, but basically the actual impact of a latte, the impact of the milk production far outweighs the cup or anything like that. And so I was like, whoa, like even changing what I'm drinking is a bigger deal than the thing I'm drinking it in. Now, does that mean I run around and still have mountains of little re- disposed cups behind me? No, I love still using my reusable mug and it's still a good thing that it's easy to do. As you were saying, now that it's my habit, I don't even think about it. I just bring the mug where I go. And that's been that's one, another low effort but low impact that it just it was enabling, but it was also really helpful for me to see this is not a huge hitter, Sam. Sure, keep doing it, but you're not gonna you're not gonna save the world this way.
0: Yeah. You mentioned huge hitting there. I think it's important for all of us to start asking the question, is this a hard hitter? Is there zeros behind this action? And if not, let that know it's not a hard hitting action, response, guide your future decisions. I will say, Tier 2, as you're talking, I don't think that the low-impact activities are a waste of time. I think that for some people, those low-impact actions, for me even, they are almost a gateway drug into the higher-impact activities. Like, when I go back and listen to my first episodes, I was all about the coffee cup and the tote bags, and I advocated for those low-impact actions until I was blue in the face, and I still do because they are a step towards eco-friendly living, and that step brings you closer towards, again, the high-impact, zeros-behind-them actions. And it's also, you know, we're talking about data-driven analyses today, It's impossible to quantify the ripple effect of your little low-impact actions on others. Who can say how many people you're impacting by bringing your coffee cup to Starbucks or bringing your tote bags into the supermarket or, I don't know, pick another low-impact activity? So I think it's important to say, too, if the low-impact action in question is also low-effort, I definitely say, keep doing it. However, don't stop there. Take it as the gateway drug, the step towards, and then go for the higher impact actions.
1: Yeah, I I love your gateway drug analogy there. It's It's a good one, for sure. That transition of eventually going from the low impact side to the high impact side is critical. And one of the things that has opened my eyes to that is in Green Atlas, what I do is anytime a user, you can have a profile and you can check off guides and say, yes, I'm doing this one. Yep, I'm doing sustainable birthday parties or something. And what it does is it records that. And so then you, I make a little graph that shows, okay, Sam, you started at 100 tons of greenhouse gases, and then you know in October you started doing composting or whatever, so you took out this bite, and so you can see it step down over time as your impact decreases. And so a lot of these like one to two ton per year for my household, although we're talking like one to two percent, if I just do two to three of those a year for the next five to 10 years, that's a big chunk. It's very additive. And it's like, I, I can do this. I'm actually starting to feel optimistic, Stephanie. It's a shocking feeling to have in this area sometimes.
0: Yeah. And just my final word for today's episode, listeners, is to remember the problem The problem is an excess of carbon in the atmosphere. And so the solution or what we should all be working towards is to actively take carbon out of the atmosphere, which most of us don't have the ability to do unless we can plant large swaths of trees and or prevent excess carbon from entering the atmosphere as we go about our daily lives. So the problem and the very simplistic solution, how can we prevent the most amount of carbon from continuing to be emitted into the atmosphere. That's where the high impact activities come into play. Thank you so much for coming on, Sam. I enjoyed every minute of talking to you. I wish you so much success with Green Atlas. Thank you. And that's a wrap, listeners. Stay with me. We're going to have a quick ad break. And when we get back, we're going to have a really great eco tip and a quick podcast announcement. I'll see you in a minute. couple things to discuss today. First is an eco-tip. Today's eco-tip comes from Heidi. Heidi listened to my last episode, 349, on high-impact decluttering, and she said she had some suggestions for expired herbs. If you have chickens, you can add the herbs and spices to the chicken feed. Because many herbs and spices have immense health benefits for chickens, and many can also deter predators and flies. So if you have chickens and you have old spices, you could either sprinkle them around the coop or feed them to the chickens. Heidi said in particular she put about 10 spices in a jar, she shook it up, and now she has like a little sprinkleable thing to spread around the coop and feed to the chickens. Heidi also says that if you don't have chickens but you do have expired spices, you can mix cayenne, red pepper flakes, etc. into a jar and sprinkle that around the perimeter of your veggie garden or your flower garden and it will deter deer, which oh my gosh, we have so many deer where I live. Deer, rabbits, etc. anything that's looking to eat your flowers and your vegetables. Heidi, thank you so much. What a great tip. And I'm going to save some old spices for the spring. I'll do that in my garden. Thank you so much. The next quick thing I want to say today, I'm going to do something I've never done, which is I'm going to put out a third episode this week. So three episodes this week. Holy moly. I don't know what I'm getting into. Basically, I turned on the news this weekend and I saw countless, I don't know, at least a dozen news articles on the Chris Rock, Will Smith slap of last year. Basically, Chris Rock is finally clapping back, if you will. And I thought to myself, this entertainment news that really in the grand scheme of the world is not all that important is getting so much coverage. What about the environmental issues that are getting buried because of it? This week, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to start a new type of show. I'm calling it Headlines, and it is in which I take three-ish environmental stories And I relay them to you. So none of my opinions, just the stories. I'm going to be as unbiased as I possibly can. There's going to be no fluff. There's going to be no Stephanie stories. Just three headlines about environmental issues that I think we all need to know about. We do not need to know about the ongoing Chris Rock and Will Smith feud, but we do need to be educated about what's going on with this planet. So that's the goal. I don't know when I'm going to release it. I don't know how I'm going to fit this into my schedule, but it's important to me. I hope you enjoy it. If you hate it, tell me so I don't keep killing myself making a third episode a week. If you love it, tell me that too. That'll give me a little boost of motivation to keep going. Be on the lookout for that drop sometime this week. I'll see you on Wednesday, Thursday. I don't know. You'll see me two more times this week. I'll see you then. Reach out if you need me and take care.